0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Will with ScheduleFly, and I'm very excited to have Julian Brizzy on the phone. Uh, Julian's in Brooklyn, New York. He owns three restaurants there. His newest is uh, Celestine, and uh, he was very kind to take some time to do this today. He's a busy dude, but he was uh, willing to share some time and talk about his story, so thank you very much, Julian, for doing that.
1: Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Okay, man. So I want to get. I want to. I want to hear about Celestine, but I. I, I want to uh, just take a step back and first just ask you, to tell me how you got into hospitality initially, how and when.
1: Uh, well, I guess I first. I. I, I uh, from a very young age, I wanted to have my own restaurant. I think mainly because I wanted to be able to control what I ate, and I didn't really care for the food. That was being offered in my home as a young child. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I think that the first thing I I, I grew up in New, Jer- in, in New York in New York and New Jersey, and uh, going to a, my first diner in New Jersey was like the most amazing experience for me because they had burgers and bagels and cereal and eggs and pretty much whatever you wanted was available, and uh, and that was just the most amazing thing to me. So when I, my first g- job goal was to own a New Jersey diner, which I have yet to accomplish unfortunately but that's sort of how it all started and uh from there i started cooking at a very young age started shopping for my family for for food at a very young age and started working in restaurants and i was i think 12 or 13 as soon as i get my working papers basically
0: dude you knew early on that's fantastic i mean i've heard a lot of people talk about starting early in the business but you really had a vision barely what what so you, you were cooking at home as a young man
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I entered like a bread baking competition at like, uh, like second or third grade. That was fairly amateurish, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, but yeah, I, I cooked for my family. I cooked dinner for my family like five nights a week from the age of about nine or 10 years old on.
0: Oh man, that's fantastic. Um, well then, okay. So there's, there's cooking at home and there's, controlling your food and everything, and there's, then there's the world of owning a restaurant and operating a restaurant and running, you know, managing a business and all that comes with that, so what, which is, which is, uh, there's so much to that, but what, I mean, did you, so did you grow up working in, like, did you start working at places and work your way yeah, up? Yeah, I,
1: start, I, I started as a, uh, a prep cook and brunch grill cook at a place in Montclair, New Jersey called the, uh, what was what was it called? the blue moon cafe or something. It wasn't a a very notable restaurant as you can imagine, but yeah, I started doing that after school, like 20 hours a week. And then, uh, started picking up from there by the time I was a 14 or 15, I was working, I think probably 30 hours a week in one or two restaurants, uh, mainly, you know, prep work and, uh, and basic line work. Um, and I did that all through high school, through college, uh, then graduated college and worked, uh, uh, at a food magazine as an intern at food arts magazine, which is now defunct, uh, um, industry publication. And from there, uh, at 23, I started working front of house at Gramercy Tavern. And that's sort of where I made the transition from kitchen to, uh, to front of house work and from working at pretty, pretty bad restaurants to pretty good restaurants. Truth be told.
0: So you went to, uh, you still went to college. Did you go to college to get a, uh, like a hospitality degree or?
1: I got an English degree at the university of Vermont. Uh, I, for a while I thought that I might want to write about food rather than actually, uh, you know, be involved in, the, in the, the preparation and serving of it. But I was uh, pretty quickly dissuaded of that notion uh, upon entering the workforce out of college.
0: Oh, hence the Food Magazine. Okay, got it. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. When did you When did you first uh, open your own place?
1: Uh, I worked uh, front of house uh, serving, bartending, and managing for six years after college, maybe longer than we think. 20, yeah, about six years. I opened my, our, we opened Rucola seven and a half years ago. I was twenty seven, twenty eight, something like that.
0: Okay, so twenty seven, twenty eight. You opened Rucola. Did you have, did you yeah. have partners in that, or is that just you? Or
1: yeah, my cousin uh, had started a um, mint company out of college that he sold uh, in two thousand and, uh, uh, and he transitioned from that into wanting to open his own restaurant. He had no restaurant experience. I had no. Um, you know ownership experience and we worked together on the projects uh putting together the business plans soliciting investment and then you know managing the construction build out and then operations of the of our first place together uh from there he went on and opened five other restaurants and i opened two others in with various partner groups but we, we we did the first thing together and sort of learned what we learned what we didn't know
0: what were some of the things you didn't know
1: Oh man. Uh, I had a look at a P and L and know what it meant. Um, how to manage, uh, labor and budgets. I mean, we really didn't know how to, how to raise an investment for, for a restaurant. Uh, I later learned that we'd given our investors just about the best deal you could get in the restaurant. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, basically everything, everything outside of, 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 the, the operations of service, I had no idea. And as far as he's concerned, everything outside of, uh, you know, generating a business plan and knowing how to operate a, a, business that's, 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 uh, you know, generates revenue, um, sufficient to stay open. He didn't know, you know, there was a, there was a, a moment we were having a conversation and, uh, and he asked me why we needed both a dishwashing machine and a dishwashing person. He assumed that the machine would negate the need for the person. And, uh, <laughs> we had to rework our budget around the fact that you need both machines and people in the space. So, you know, uh, that, that, that level of, of, uh, of, I guess ignorance is the right word. We were definitely at a we were definitely at a at a, at a real deficit as far as um, operational experience. But you know, we I think quickly picked up on what needed to be done, and we're lucky enough to have enough business to sustain our mistakes and or sustain ourselves despite our mistakes. I should say, and uh, things worked out pretty good. We're, uh, it'll be eight years uh, in April, so we're we're getting getting that ten year mark.
0: That's awesome. Man. Well, I'm a big believer in trial and error, man. You're accelerated in your learning curve. And it's if you're self-aware and <clears throat> really stay focused on that stuff, you can learn quickly and make adjustments. I'm sure you all have done a lot of that. What, um, when you say you gave your investors a great deal, um, I mean, don't get into specifics of course, but did you guys, did you, was it equity or debt or how did you structure it? I'm just curious. Oh, uh,
1: we did do it. We did a, it was a, it was a straight equity deal. Uh, yeah. we built the restaurant the way you'd build, it, uh, the first restaurant, the way you'd, 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 fundraise for a tractor company. Basically you buy 10%, you own 10%. So there's no flip, no preferred repayments, but, uh, um, you know the equity that was purchased by our investors on the, on the front end was it was in perpetuity. Every follow-up deal we've done, there's been a flip a flip for the cash inve- for the, the, the sweat investors, uh, whereby you know once the, the capital investors are repaid to the tune of 110, 120, their equity is diluted uh, substantially. It, 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 it they they they, they, re- they retain equity in perpetuity, but uh, the sweat uh, partners and those who you know uh, made it work. Despite all adversity, are the ones that that, that wind up reaping the, the greatest benefits on the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not the case with Rucola, which is probably the way it needed to be because we didn't have the track record that we did by the time we were opening up our second, third, and yeah, right. And the cousins. They took a big six, risk. Fourth, fifth, and sixth. Exactly. So yeah. you know, it was the it was the fair thing to do, and it was probably the only the only way to do it. But in uh, looking at how the deals you know shook out, uh, if I could go back in time and be an investor at Rucola, I would certainly do so.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. So then you okay? So then the equity investors and the other ones have been diluted. Is it is it ongoing dilution or are they dilute, diluted down to a pre-agreed upon it's, point? It's
1: it's it's different in each restaurant. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, it is agreed upon in the operating agreement. We 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 would never like renegotiate, but uh, it's it's different. I think there's a two tier uh, dilution at, at, at Grand Army, and uh, it's a one tier dilution at Celestine. But with truth be told, we actually haven't gotten to those points in either of the other restaurants. So yeah. Um, that's, you know, in the operating agreement, but has yet to to, to come to fruition.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So talk about, um, I mean, there's so many unique things that come along with owning and running a restaurant in New York um, that you guys deal with that are probably can be more challenging at times, but also you have a lot of, uh, I mean, you just have a great city to operate in as well, but tell me about being in New York and what that means as a restaurant owner and some of the unique challenges you have there that you may not face in other sure. parts of the country.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing that people are talking about now is the $15 minimum wage, which uh, is coming into effect on January 1st of 2019. Um, amongst people that operate restaurants that you know, um, I communicate with frequently, that's definitely the number one issue. Uh, area of concern, you know, because $15 minimum wage doesn't just mean that your entry-level employees are making 15 It means that everyone that's put time in needs are making more than that. Uh, so that's a challenge that we're currently trying to work with. I think it's, uh, you know, um, balancing your food costs and your labor uh, costs to net out to a uh, percentage that is, you know, that, that, that would that would help you be profitable is, I think, the direction that most restaurants in New York City are going rather than trying to keep your labor number at a certain point just you know uh, having the food cost be low enough that it, it offsets it um you know we also have a, a huge tourism economy which in in Brooklyn we're seeing a lot more uh tourism every year i mean it's, i thought we'd reached critical mass about four or five years ago but it just seems like every six months there's a new hotel several blocks away from one of our restaurants there's new uh you know new types of folks coming from all over the world so uh, that's you know very exciting to see, and I hope uh, it, it continues to grow despite uh, you know the political climate maybe being uh, you know uh, uh, disincentivizing people from certain parts of the world for coming to visit us. Um, and you know there's a ton of competition. Um, I've always been of the opinion that if you open a restaurant or any business uh, in an area that you where, where you you assume your success is based on the lack of competition. Uh, all you're doing is setting yourself up to be driven out of business by someone who's a better operator down the road. So, we've always stri- striven to oper- operate businesses that would be successful in a um, very competitive market, uh, which we have to do as we are in a very competitive market, and that's 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 proven, uh, you know, a, a good strategy for us over the years at, at, at all three of our uh, our properties.
0: Um, the minimum wage issue really is a. Uh gosh that's a big challenge I mean, is that a significant increase for a lot of the folks that you already have on staff or, or did uh, you
1: well we are trying to get everybody to 15 before the new year because so I'd rather be in a situation where we've given people raises uh, and are grateful for their work than being forced to give people raises it just it, 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 it feels better on the operators end and I think it feels better for the employees so that you value what they do rather than you're being forced to uh, compensate them in you know because of the state mandate or federal mandate um you know, it's definitely a, uh, it, you know, it, it's definitely a large jump from uh, four or five years ago. I think the minimum wage was like eight sixty five when we opened RucoLo, which was you know, I don't think it was enough to live off of then, and it certainly wouldn't be enough to live off of now. Uh, but it's definitely a significant jump. Um, and I think one thing that's that's that people are doing, and that we're certainly doing, aside from just trying to get set ourselves up. Uh, from a revenue perspective to be able to match it is just eliminating overtime. It's got very, you know, it used to be that that the only way that an entry-level employee could survive on what they're being paid would be to work 60, 65 hours a week. And now restaurants just can't survive giving people that much overtime. So I think in the end, it's better for everybody. Uh, But it is a big, big change. And I think we'll see a big uh, disruption in the marketplace come January, February.
0: What do, you think, what do you think it mean? I mean, does it mean a lot of folks just won't be able to continue? Or,
1: Well, uh, uh, unfortunately, it's coming at the worst time of the year. You know, January, you see a huge dip in sales. The worst time for, for restaurants, I think, all over the world, but certainly in New York City is January and August, um, even if you're on the water and in a tourist-heavy area like we are here at Celestein. So I think, um, you know, you always see restaurants going out of business in January and February because they weren't able to shore up enough revenue to, to deal with the slow periods uh, in, in Q4 during the holidays holiday season. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, we won't have that problem. I'm confident that we'll be in, in, in good position going into Q1 at all three of our properties. But I, I definitely think you're going to see um, a lot of restaurants going out of business, unfortunately. And I think you'll see a lot of places raising their prices um, once they realize what, what's happening. So we're trying to hedge that off by, um, by either by, by doing what we can on, on now in order to set ourselves up so, for, so we don't have to, you know, make any big, big changes in January. Um, both because uh, I think it's just better to plan ahead for these sort of things. And also you don't want to surprise uh, your guests with a big price jump uh, during the slowest period of the year. But I'm definitely expecting that there's going to be a big um, adjustment for, for the whole industry.
0: What about um, What about food costs and, and the increasing food cost? I mean, do you, is it harder and harder to be a small operator? Do you kind of need to grow and have more locations to, to be able to, you know, just command better food costs and better prices and things like that?
1: There is definitely a strength in numbers, uh, especially with larger purveyors. Um, uh, luckily for us, we since we have an affiliated network of restaurants that goes beyond my three uh, restaurants that I personally own and operate, uh, my cousin started uh, what, what started off as a bookkeeping company. Uh, that would act as a very small umbrella over all of his restaurants and I've also tied myself in with that. So we're able to say when we call say Cisco or Dairyland or any of our large producer our large purveyors, we've got, you know, twelve restaurants that each operate and each have accounts and you can look them all up and we all, you know, we've been consistently uh, reliable and making payments at all of them and we'd like three or 5% off of our, you know, uh, of our, our, invoices moving forward. And you know, I'm actually surprised at how often people are willing to do that. Um, but that is sort of the, the, the top end of the discounts that you can get. So that three or 5% does make a difference in the bottom line, but, uh, it, you know, food costs, food cost does rise every year. Uh, as far as, you know, not our cost numbers on our end, but what it actually costs to put food on the plate. Um, so in, 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 in addition to trying to, you know, make our small little group appear significantly larger by virtue of our, 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 our affiliated uh, establishments, um, you know, it's also a big focus for us uh, on perceived value versus actual cost of cost of goods. So. You know, we don't ever want to seem like we're ripping people off, but we do strive every time we put out a new menu to get our food costs lower and lower. And it used to be 25% was the goal. And now with labor easily running over 30, 35% on a week to week basis uh, with, you know, 15 being the baseline for for our employees, we're looking at food costs being 18 to 22% uh, ideally um, at at all of our restaurants. So, you know, hopefully we're able to uh, meet those numbers while still, you know, Providing uh, a, a good value to our guests, but it is certainly a, a major challenge.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, l- let me um, let me ask you this. I mean, you were young and wanted to control the food that was put on your plate, and that was sort of the primary driver. Um, but you continued in the industry, and have done really well. What? So that means you, you know you have a, a much broader um, view and set of things that drive why you do what you do. What is? I mean, what is hospitality? mean to you julian and what what do you like most about it or love most about it
1: uh well i think the uh, the idea that you know um despite the fact that i spend a lot of my time in a uh, various basement offices next to boilers uh fundamentally what we do is we get to work and spend time in places that are designed to make people feel comfortable and at home and that's our entire job is to take people who you know, regardless of what happened just before they walked in the doors, once they walk in they're 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 in our home and we are here to make people feel comfortable and enjoy themselves. So the, the, the job is to deliver joy to people. Uh, and that's, you know, through uh, our hospitality and through the food that we offer them. Uh, and that to me is just a much more rewarding way to live life than, you know, work in, a, in some sort of an office job where you don't really get to f- see and feel the results of your hard work on a daily basis. Uh, I'm also fairly in uh, patients. So having something like a restaurant operation where, you know, you, 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 you live and die by that day's, uh, services and the quality of the product you execute that, that day, uh, it's much more gratifying to me than say something that would be you know, a much longer lead, uh, process before being able to, to actually see the, the, the results of your hard work.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Looking back now, man, uh, you've been at it a while. Are there things, um, you know, what surprised you most, I guess, about being in the hospitality business and owning restaurants? Things maybe you didn't uh, anticipate on the front end.
1: Well, I think I've got a fair amount of, uh, of, of of imposter syndrome, as I think a lot of people do once they find themselves having been able to accomplish what they wanted to. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I I, just, I I have the life that I hoped to have as a young person. doesn't mean that I'm always satisfied with the way things, the way things go and, you know, totally comfortable, but um, uh, I do... I, I, I do often feel as though I'm uh, not only extremely lucky, but perhaps under-equipped uh, to do what I do on a daily basis, which um, is, I think, something that a lot of people, um, maybe, you know, people with a, a, a certain amount of humility experience. So I definitely feel that way quite often, and uh, for me, a big challenge is just uh, remembering that um, for whatever reason I'm I'm here in the position that I am, and all I can do is just, you know, do my best and try to be as as, 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 as Um, fair and professional and equitable with my staff and our guests as possible.
0: Well, my man, that's a great, you know, did you say imposter syndrome? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard that term, but I've heard people express something similar. I mean, look, not having, you know, not having an ego and checking that ego at the door and maintaining that sense of humility and the way you approach it is certainly a, clearly a big part of what's driving your success because you're never comfortable and, and I uh, feel like there's more to learn and more to do and you can continue to grow. And that's a great thing, man. Um, and I'm sure it's a, a a big part of why you've been able to do what you do and will continue to. Um, and, and coupled with the fact that you're, you know, always preparing for lots of competition and preparing, looking down the road, uh, it, you know, what you're going to have to continue to do. So, uh, I, I love the approach and admire that approach very much, for sure. Um, it'd be good advice to young folks that are listening to this that are getting into the business. Uh, it's a tough business and it's a grind, and then you put a lot of. It's funny you just said you spend a lot of time in offices next to boilers. That's the real There's there's sort of like the the idea of what it means to be a restaurant owner, and then the reality, and sometimes they intersect, but sometimes they're um, they're they can be on opposite extremes of, of what you might expect, can't they?
1: That is absolutely true. No question about it. Um, I, I, I worked for a bunch of guys over the years, some operators who were uh, humble and kind and, you know, respectful of their staff and, and grateful for their positions. I also worked for guys who were uh, uh, extremely cocky and proud and had the kind of uh, the vibe that they fostered was one of the guests are lucky that we're letting them in the doors mm. rather than we were so grateful that they're here. And I've always been much more comfortable in the uh, you know we don't we, do, we don't this this is uh, this is earned not given and we need to be uh, grateful for every person that steps through the doors and I think that that has to translate to your staff and it has to like, to, to you know from anybody from the, the street person that comes off this, the, the the street to use the restroom it doesn't doesn't buy a single thing to the person that wants to have their wedding with you you have to have that same level of gratitude mm. uh, for each one of them so I think that's Definitely something that's worked well for me. And I think to be honest, it allows us to make mistakes that people who are coffee and overconfident can't. Because if someone presents like they're the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread and then the, the the experience that they offer you is not it doesn't exactly meet up to that. Uh, you know, there's a certain amount of resentment that is I think totally reasonable from a guest's perspective and i've certainly had it in restaurants before but if you're yeah. humble and grateful and, uh, and 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 kind and open and, and, and open arms with every guest then uh, hopefully they cut you a little bit more slack because uh you know our business is a tough one to make everything perfect every time so um hopefully people are you know grateful for your hard work and efforts and and that that kind of evens out in the end here
0: yeah that 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 approach is not sustainable i don't i mean it may lead to Hype and buzz and big opening. I don't know. But people pick up on that. And, you know, some people may be okay with that. But the average guest is going to say, you know, this isn't where I don't feel welcome here. And, and, uh, you know, when you've got lots of competition, especially in a place like New York or really anywhere, um, over time, uh, that's a tough way to run it and be successful long term.
1: Yeah, that's more of the nightclub thing. You know, you make your money and and you're out in three, five years, something like
0: that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Well, so... <clears throat> What's uh? So you've you've had Celestine for a year now, is that right?
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, a little over a year. We our first anniversary uh, uh, on uh, October twelfth okay. last month.
0: Good, congratulations. Thanks. Um, has it been uh? Talk about just a little bit about like the team that you have put together there and at your other restaurants. Has it been more and more challenging to find? good people to attract and retain these days. I mean, I hear that from a lot of folks. I haven't really, I don't know as much in New York. I mean, is your, do you have a good talent pool there? Is it, is it becoming smaller and smaller and harder to find people?
1: You know, back of house is always a challenge. I yeah. think it's, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's months when you're so short-handed that you don't know how you're going to be able to operate all the services you're open for. And then you find the right staff and you're comfortable for a couple of months and you're right back to square one, wow. you know, every seemingly every three to six months. Um, Front of house, there's a huge labor pool in New York City. As long as your business is generating enough revenue that people will be compensated, you know, well for their their, their time in the front of house. I think it's fairly easy to find the right people building the right team and having the, the people with the right skill set, but also the, most, also the the right, you know, um, emotional connectedness and level headedness and humility to, to do what we expect people to do is definitely a challenge. But that's a, that's more of a management challenge than it is a labor pool challenge in my opinion. Um, I did have, I, I was interviewed, uh, last week at the previous, the week before that by uh, a young lady who's in the industry, but also earning her, uh, her earning her master's in food studies. And she's writing, uh, her, I guess her master's thesis on millennials in the workplace and mm. her, her general pieces was that folks are, uh, more, certain, I guess more, self-focused i guess rather than saying self-centered than they used to be because of social media and everything else and i don't know if i necessarily agree with that hypothesis although i've certainly heard it from a lot of people that you have to manage you know people's emotions and their feelings a lot more than you used to and i think that's just uh the nature of the workplace overall um that said we do have a much younger workforce so it does often feel like you're sort of you never left high school working in restaurants but uh you know, personally, I, I think I fit. I, I, I fit well in that sort of environment, so it's, it's not a problem for me.
0: Well, you, you do hear a lot of that. And you, but the, the, the good thing about them too is that, um, first of all, there's, I mean, they're growing up with technology and a lot of the things that, that you know. Just we can learn a lot from them. I think. Um, plus, uh, that I, I've got to imagine. I mean, that youthful energy and constantly turning over youthful energy. But you know, that's probably a good thing. Um, when you're at it as hard as you are for as long as you are it's probably good to have a lot of young folks around that, that have that energy and, and you find the right ones and you know that have some willingness to learn and to listen uh it can probably be a really healthy positive thing for guys like us that have been around long enough right
1: <laughs> yeah no question i mean i got i got two small kids i don't i am I, my life is no longer one where i can be working working service until late at night and you know um, talking to people about having can improve at the bar, you know, uh, into the wee hours. And luckily I've got a, a good team of managers that have that, you know, that, 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 that youthful energy still within them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, listen, man, Julian, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this very much. We appreciate the uh, chance to serve y'all. And I know everybody listening to this will learn a lot, man. So thank you for doing it. I'm going to let you get back to it, but I, I, I do appreciate the time very much. And, um, if I, you know, I'm always around. If I can do anything for you,
1: awesome, really appreciate it. Uh, great talking to you, and uh, right back at you. Feel free to reach out anytime. I uh, appreciate your service. You guys are great, and uh, yeah, anything you ever need, don't, don't hesitate to reach out.
0: All right, man. Have a good one. Y'all take care. Have a good Thank week. Thank you. You too. All right. See you. Bye bye.